Amen. Did you guys get all that? I heard every announcement. I was out there. Um, I'm going to test you after the service to make sure you got it all. Well, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to make quick work. I got... Um, I ran three miles at a seven-minute, 40-second pace this morning. And it was only because of the word that was burning in my spirit. I was just like, I couldn't wait to get here. And then I had to wait three hours. So anyway, so Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would anoint your word. We ask that you would make every heart in this place fertile ground to receive We ask that you'd give us discernment. I thank you that you have given your spirit to your people and that we never are just um, haphazard bystanders. Lord, you've called us to discern the word. You've called us to listen, to hear for the voice of the spirit and to test all things according to your word. And so, Lord, today I ask that you would just, just... Pour out a spirit of grace upon our people in Jesus' name. Well, early, early this week, amen, early this week I was talking to one of my, my dear friends, Todd, and he said, hey, did you know it's Reformation Sunday? I was like, no, I did not. And if you didn't grow up in the church, you have no idea what that is anyway. But someone who did, as soon as he said it, something dropped in my heart, like a sledgehammer. And I was like, Reformation Sunday? So I went to a coffee shop and I just poured out my heart and that's what I emailed the whole church, that long email about what I saw the Lord wanted to reform in our day in the church. So what I'm going to do is, because I got just a, just a few responses, you don't have to respond, no guilt, but I'm not living under the assumption that most of you probably read it and I believe it's so important, I essentially, I added some, some more thoughts, sorry. But I just want to be as clear to what I sense the Lord say and to speak it into our church and really over our region. I, I just believe it, that there's all kinds of opportunities for you to bolt on to something by faith and to find yourself as a participant. So I'm going to stay close to my notes. I'm not just freewheeling free up here. I, I, I believe I have a word. And so just everyone say, Pastor Chad, we're going to have grace today. So I wanted to send out a quick email to our staff and our board and our leaders, but what quickly became just for leaders, I'm like, no, I want to send it to the whole church. The 95 theses that Martin Luther hammered on Wittenberg's door was because the church was beyond rehabilitation. It needed reformation. And it wasn't necessarily in his heart that he wanted to start a a, a new movement. He just wanted to call out the church of his day. Back to fidelity to the gospel, faithfulness and obedience to the word. And how many know God will always have a messenger for whatever church who he will faithfully have to hammer something on some door to say, time out. Have we lost the main thing? And one of Luther's theses was that church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This alone is what the meaning of Reformation Day is. It's the gospel. And I I have a picture of of that door. Um, Wittenberg door. Who's been there? Just out of curiosity. I believe that this, if you read church history, there are are key moments. Phyllis Tickle wrote a book called The Great Emergence. And and she looks through, from from a scholar's perspective, 
big epic moments that have happened from Pentecost, the inception of the church, all the way till today. And it's about 500 years the Lord does something fresh and new in his church. We just crossed 500 years two years ago. I'm late to the party, but the Lord, I'm like one abnormally born, and I've got a word about what I believe the Lord might be doing in our day. So there was a door, and I believe that there's another door that will be symbolic of what the Lord is going to do. It's not going to be that door. It's going to be the door of reformation today. The door that Jesus is knocking on is the door of the church, and he's saying, I want back in. I want to be the main thing. That before, 500 years ago, was a man who was knocking on the door, and he was in a spirit of protest, but now we're not going to be in a spirit of protest. We are in a spirit of appeal to heaven. Let what is there come here. How many know whenever you react against something, you always leave something out because you're in a reactionary spirit? Amen. Amen. No one's ever reacted and, you know, zipped back at your wife or your friend, and you know what you said had some truth, but you probably missed some things in your anger or your protest or your frustration. Today is Reformation Sunday, and if you read carefully, the Lord has been faithful from Pentecost to today to raise up messengers. Why? Because the church has a way throughout the ages to grow dull. Welcome to church. We can grow dim, we can water down, and we can discard things we don't think are desirable anymore. How many are seeing that in today? Biblical orthodoxy and just basic truths of scripture. And the Lord's like, I am not forgetting what is in my heart and what I've written in my word. The Holy Spirit was and is so faithful to restore his church to her full inheritance. Whether it was the early desert fathers around the time of the Roman Empire who found themselves this wild bunch of Jesus fanatics who were like, oh, the church is compromised, so they leave to the desert. If it was the, the early church missionaries like St. Patrick who essentially saved all of Irish civilization because of his faithfulness to the gospel. Or, you know, through the, the, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, it was the monastic orders who said, no, 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 the gospel isn't just like a, a head nod. It's supposed to re transform your entire life. And so they formed these monastic orders and they ordered their life around the gospel. Or how about the, the we've talked about Martin Luther and, and, and the Reformation and just sort of calling the church of his day to repentance and to look again to Jesus. Well, friends, what, and then I, you know, what is the Holy Spirit 500 years after that Reformation, what is he saying to the church today? Raise your hand if you ever thought, gosh, I wonder what Jesus thinks about his church today. The church, the holy, one holy Catholic church, as the creed said. The church of Jesus Christ. Who ever thinks about that? Jesus, what do you think about your church? What's your opinion? Who thinks Jesus' opinion about his church matters? <laughs> the Lord has been faithful throughout every age of the church to breathe upon usually a few who can serve as leaven for the next thing he's releasing over the earth through his church and his people. It usually starts with a few who their peers think are crazy or they fell off their rocker, but in fact, the Lord had his hand upon these little groups so that they could become leaven for the thing God was going to do in their generation. Folks, I said folks, folks, F-O-L-K-S, however you say that word, we are under another huge reformation in the global church. Yeah. 
Here are some of my humble offerings, very, very humble offerings. And what I'm probably saying, a thousand other guys and gals have said, these are humble offerings, but I want to speak them and release them nonetheless, if you'll have me. What I'm going to say is already happening all over the world. And by God's grace, it can happen here, at Cornerstone, in Santa Maria, in America, that the Lord can breathe on a few crazy, fell off their rocker, just believing God, taking him at his word and saying, Lord, whatever you're saying, we're in on it with all of our hearts. That's my heart for today, that as I speak, the fire of his love would burn in your heart and you would have a yes begin to well up. It's my heart. On this Reformation Sunday, 2019, I want to offer a few things that I believe that God is reforming in our day. How many know he's reforming stuff? Number one, the big thing he's reforming is the gathering of the people of God will no longer just be primarily around a pulpit where the message is grace, but the pinnacle of every gathering will be around a throne from which a river of grace flows. I love the reformers. I love the message of grace, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, sola scriptura, you know, scripture alone. Hallelujah. I love the solas. But I want you to know what the Lord is doing is, his, is, he is he's raising the awareness that there is a throne from which a river of grace flows morning, noon, and night if we'll go and ask and receive from it. Amen. This is what Jesus is reforming all over the earth. Hebrews 4, 16. Let's read it together. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many believe we are in a great time of need? A great time of need. In the West, in our, in our own city, in our own nation, we are at a crossroads moment, a page-turning moment. And the church that is not hearing Jesus' call to not just brandish a message of grace, but to take seriously a throne of grace, we will miss out on what God's wanting to do all over the earth. I love it, man. The story that really is in my heart is, is remember when Jesus sent his disciples across the boat, across the water, and, and, and the Bible, I love this. The Bible says that it was as if he would walk on by unless he was called. And then they thought he was a ghost, and they're like, Jesus, if it's you. And I'm telling you, Jesus is faithful to always walk by his people, but we've got to call on his name when we see him walking. And I want to say today, just without any humdrum words, that there is a throne with a king on it. And he is currently reigning over all creation now. The king who came full of grace and truth is still full of grace and truth. How many are glad? He'll always tell us the truth. And then when that truth cuts us like a sword, Hebrews 4.12, he then pours out grace that enables us to respond to the truth in love. It will shift from the reformation of the day is that not just a message of grace, but we'll have greater revelation that there is a throne of grace. It won't just be a message. It'll become a river, a reality that just sweeps over everything we're about. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. How many are thankful that Jesus is a faithful mediator? 
And this is a revelation that was released during the Reformation, but I'm convinced that many of us nod our head to this reality. Okay, Jesus is the only way to God, check. But that reality does not infuse and inform our thinking or our lifestyle. Many of us, if we're honest today, we still want to have a Moses go up the mountain for us instead of us climbing the hill. Come on, someone say amen. We still, like Israel, want a king so we can be like everyone else, but we don't want to hear the call of Jesus to come to himself. We still, just like Israel and the people of God throughout all the ages, we want a pastor or a priest to be close to God. Just give us the message. But very few of us take seriously God's calling for every one of his sons and daughters to live in communion and friendship with him. To live close. How many know there is one mediator? There are no sideline you have to live vicariously through any Christians because of what Jesus has done. Every single person is invited to come close and to live close to God. Many of us discard ourselves. We say, I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy. Well, congratulations, he already knows that. Now get over yourself and respond to his calling. Or many of us say, maybe you're not in that category. Maybe you're in a worse category. I am good enough. I don't need any help. (laughs) Or maybe you're like, I've tried it and it didn't work out for me. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, the Lord still has this question that he's issuing to the human race today. Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? Closeness and communion with the Lord do not happen on the run. Another prophet. Prophets have a way just to be grumpy and to tell us the truth at the same time. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it, but I found no one. I didn't find anyone. The prophet's saying the Lord has always looked for someone to stand in the gap, to be that one who would say, you know what, I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to devote myself to closeness. And the Lord's like, I have the hardest thinking time to find someone. Thanks be to God, there was one who stood in the gap, Jesus Christ. And this one man stood in the gap, and Michael didn't even know that word, that man has made a breach. He's the mediator. Now all of us can follow after God like Jesus. We can be close to the Lord. So what is the Lord reforming? We don't have to live through other other person's story, other person's anointing. There is one mediator, and Jesus is saying, I want you to live close to me. Come to me. Come to me. Brothers and sisters, we have confidence because of Jesus to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up to us through his curtain, that is the body. Since we have a great high priest of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There is a man who has broken through on our behalf. Now through Jesus, we can enter into God's throne of grace with boldness, confidence, and assurance. That's a really good day. It's a really good day. Jesus has made a way for us. I believe that central to this reformation Sunday and the days and weeks, years, 
decades that we're entering into is going to be God is restoring a throne room reality and mentality to the church. Where every single person who has ears to hear will learn to go directly to Jesus to receive the grace and mercy that they need. Listen, I'm not saying God is ever going to say, okay, we don't need preachers, pastors, leaders, or community. No way, of course we do. But how many know the best thing I can do if I'm your friend is not for you to perpetually need to rely on me, it's to show you where the bread is, to show you where the grace flows, to show you how to receive mercy when you're in your time of need. The great need of our day is to to help people get in on this journey on how to go directly to the source. Amen. There's a man on the throne, and he is going to begin to take center stage again in our mindsets and our gathering. We'll begin to shift from a pulpit and pew mentality to a throne and an altar reality. Obviously, teaching and preaching and messages and messengers will always be a part of the story. Someone say, we hear you loud and clear. Messengers, preachers, that for God anoints them and calls them. I'm one of them and so are you. Amen. But there's a reality that God is restoring to the church. It's called the throne room reality. And we discover that in the throne room, as we go on through this message, there is one who speaks from his throne and his name is Jesus. Did you know that the one who spoke is the one who still speaks if we have ears to hear? So many of us live a hearsay reality when the spirit enables us to live a he says reality. Zinger, okay. I thought about that this week. We don't need hearsay believers. We need he says believers. I don't need you to quote the best book you read. I need you to tell me what he showed you in the secret place this morning. Listen, there is a day that we're entering into, and you will not be able to, like the sons of Sceva, say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and you will get bloody and beat if you don't know the one you claim to know by spending time with him. And that's not shame and condemnation. That is to provoke you to go on a journey that you can live close to him. Every person in this room, there are no people who are the exception to the rule. Jesus is saying, come up the mountain. Let me give you clean hands and a pure heart so you can gaze directly upon my beauty in my face. You will not make it in these last days by living through someone else's faith or journey. Now, in the company of faith, we can provoke and stoke each other to stay in faith by living in the throne room of his presence. But the one who spoke is still the one who speaks, and his children he calls sheep, and his sheep he says know his voice. Amen. We will shift from a grace unto salvation for heaven someday when I die, way out in the distant future message. And you don't believe me, I've read so many books where this this idea of the truncated gospel, how many know that there is grace unto salvation, we all said amen, but there's also grace for the sake of reigning and ruling as a kingdom of priests who are equipped and empowered for the mandate to bring heaven and earth together. In a whole generation, for hundreds of years, we've heard the message, grace by salvation through faith, so that when you die, you'll go to heaven. And the whole ministry of Jesus, it's about bringing heaven's reality to the earth. And the grace that the Lord and this reformation of the next 500 years or until Jesus returns is a grace not just unto salvation, as true as that is. But how many know salvation has way more to do with than you just being saved from your sins. It's being saved for a kingdom purpose. 
And this reformation is that you and I were designed to reign and to rule. Where? Not in heaven someday, on the earth with the Lord at the center of our reality. Just read Revelation 1, 5 through 6, Revelation 5, 9 through 11, and more verses that we're going to talk about. We are shifting. How many are ready? How many were like, okay, I prayed the prayer, but I'm still alive. What am I supposed to do? Well, hello, you are, be, you are, the grace that God is releasing today is so that you can learn to reign and to rule. And oh, unless we're like getting chauvinistic and oh, I can't wait to rule. How does Jesus' kingdom rule look? Like serving. Like loving enemies. Before we were like, oh, you get to rule and reign. Oh, now you're freed from yourself. You can just give your life away. I'm just, that's the Bible. We don't rule through force. We rule coercively through humble, sacrificial, servant-minded love. If we're following Jesus, that's the way of his rule. Okay, amen. We do this through wholehearted love, passionate worship, believing intercession and prayer, discipleship, and communities who live on mission together. Guys, God wants his church operating in the fullness of what Jesus died to become a reality. The only reality that will sustain this is if the throne room takes center stage of our mindset and our life together. One of the key doctrines that Luther and the reformers, and it's not that others before him didn't, didn't believe it, was the priesthood of all believers. And what does that mean? What's the priesthood of all believers? It's found in 1 Peter 2. It's that every single person can go directly to God through Christ to receive forgiveness, grace, healing. Amen? Say amen if you understand the priesthood of all believers. I believe it was a key doctrine, and it's a legacy of the Reformation of the 1500s, but I believe the Lord is going to accelerate and pour Holy Spirit steroids on the reality. I believe you and I, in the days to come, and because I got work to do in teaching, preaching, and praying, and equipping, I have a lot of, we, we have a lot of work to do, is you're going to begin to think of yourself as a builder priest, as a stay-at-home mom priest, as a, as a priest. And all that that means is you will begin to adopt a mentality that all of my life is unto Jesus, say unto Jesus, and on his behalf. What do you think of when you think of unto Jesus? What, what are the things that come to your mind? Worship, work, work prayer, praise. Okay, un, so it's unto him. We draw near to him, then what do we do? We go give ourselves to his purposes. The easiest way I can explain priesthood is those two phrases, unto Jesus on his behalf. Unto Jesus on his behalf. This is the priesthood of all believers. Did you know that Jesus died to make you a priest? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's true. Let's read this on the screen together. Not priest with a white collar. You'll get it. Although you can do that and freak your colleagues out at work tomorrow and say, my pastor told me I'm a priest, so. (laughs) Don't do that. Please don't do that. You can if you want. And they sang, read it out loud together, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, 
You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Hallelujah. You're like, I still don't get the priest thing. Well, the priest in Israel's day and the priest in almost every religion, they had a few responsibilities. They had the privilege of living close to where God dwelled. That is now for every believer through Jesus. Hallelujah. They also had the privilege of bringing the needs and the concerns of the people to God. You have that privilege too, to carry each other's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. That's how you fulfill the law of Christ. What else did priests do? Once they brought the sacrifices or the needs or the prayers, God would usually respond by fire, and then they would give God's response to the people. You and I also have the priestly responsibility that when we draw near and we offer the entirety of our lives as a sacrifice, now not a bull or a goat or whatever, he then changes us, he baptizes with his fire and love, and he's like, now go tell the world what I did in you and for you and through you, you can do in them and through them and for them. This is, why, this is why he made us priests. Yay. God's original design and intention. If you look at the creation story, when God created the world, you'll notice two things. There was no temple and there were no priests. Why? Because all of creation was God's garden temple and there were no need for priests because humans lived in close proximity to God who had the mandate to go share and show and cultivate the earth that revealed his beauty and glory to all of creation. All of life was sacred and holy and all of God's people, the ones who bore his image, had the priestly privilege to live close to God unto Jesus and on his behalf. Did you know that 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 plan went through several different revisions because God dealt with the sinfulnesses of his people and because he's so good. But I want you to know he has definitively dealt with our sin problem through the blood of his son, Jesus. And now God can restore his original plan and purpose was for an entire people who would say, I'm a priest. I get to live close to him. And then after I live out of that place of close relationship, I get to show and share his provision and love with everyone around me. Okay, praise God. You're going to get it. I think we got it. We got it. And I would argue, this is my favorite news yet. I believe the best news yet is that we are going to shift from a personality and performance-driven culture to a presence and power of the Holy Spirit culture. Now, you got to hear me. God gave you your personality in mind. He loves your personality in mind most of the time. But man is not sufficient to be the bedrock foundation to carry the church. And for, genera- for a generation or more, and in some spinoff throughout all of church history, anytime we try to build the thing on us, we are not a sufficient foundation or cornerstone to hold up the people of God. We've seen too many mega this, that fall, and I'm not cursing or slandering. I'm just saying it's because we were never meant to be at the center. Jesus is at the center. This doesn't mean your personality is not important or that your, your charisma or your gifts or your talents, amen, the Lord gave you all of those so that through the uniqueness of who you are, you would be able to shine and show others a dynamic of God that no one else can show or share. But the spotlight's not on you, it's on him. God loves you. He chooses to include you. But he said, and he is never going to change his mind, that the cornerstone of his church is not people or pastors. It's Christ Jesus himself. 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole church building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The church will function not as a house to showcase the gifts and talents of man, but we will become a temple for a person called the Holy Spirit. Four of us are excited to go pumped about that. Hey, I don't, I just need, we just need 11. We just need a few. And this, this temple is for a person called the Holy Spirit, built on the foundation of King Jesus. You and I, yes, are individual temples, 1 Corinthians 3.16. But what happens when a bunch of individuals collectively yield to the lordship of Jesus? His power and presence can magnify and increase as we become a house for the Spirit. Come on, how many want to become a house for the Holy Spirit together? It's amazing. Where the collective yes releases dynamic explosion of his Holy Spirit presence and power. We're not doing this to huddle in some corner out from the world, you know, just huddling away and hitting this. No, we're gathering unto Jesus and letting him form and fill and fashion us and then empowering us to go and be the people of God in all of our life. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priest. There it is, priest, 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 priest. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a living stone with that voice. Say, I ain't no stinking dead brick. I'm a living stone. You have to see this. This is God's desire that his people would live with this reality. I'm a living stone that's being built with other living stones to become a house. And within that house, we become priests. That every person, I've already unpacked it, and then we get to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And what are some of those sacrifices? Shout them out at me. Amen Amen is one. Amen. Service, brilliant. What else? Time, laying down our life for others. Prayer. Worship, praise. Encouragement, the word. So you, you guys just nailed all of them. So those are, all, those are just some of them that I stole. How many know that the really the first and great sacrifice that God wants from every one of his kiddos is yourself? Amen. What's that famous Romans 12 passage? Help me out. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Right? This is your true and proper worship. And when you make that offering, the entirety of your life over to God and his purposes, he will transform the way you think and therefore transform the way you live. And after that offering of ourself, everything else flows. The praise, the prayer, the intercession, the sacrificial love, everything you already just said. Yeah. Let's read this out together. This is some of the, these are the best. These are so good. One, two, three, go. 
You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Say it with me. I am a priestly, holy, royal nation. I belong to him. This is our identity, friends. The church is not just going to confess these things in the days ahead and all over the earth already. They're going to begin to function as a priestly, holy, royal identity. And friends, as the days grow darker around us, There will be a people who have fire and love burning on the inside of them, whose hearts are made pure through the cleansing of Jesus, and whose lives are unified and united around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that community will become radiant on the earth. Yay. That community is not going to limp across the finish line into the age of come. The church will be a royal, holy, chosen, fiery, love-filled, sacred, give everything for Jesus at the end of the age. The secular narrative and the Western myth of progress is failing. Read every statistic. Even people who aren't even Christians are writing books by the, how the narrative is broken. It's not working. It's not meeting the ache of our human heart. And in this hour, the Lord is not telling us to dumb down, dole down, or grow dim. He's saying step into your identity as a chosen, royal, holy people. Where you don't just have a message of grace, you live a life marked and filled and empowered by my grace. Because this is our inheritance. There will cause, listen, the the last verse of the Bible, or one of the last verses. It's perfect. One of the last verses of the Bible, the spirit and the bride say come. Did you know that Jesus is going to come back someday? Not to a people who are all bogged down and been out of shape and I'm indifferent to all this stuff, God. I don't really care. I mean, he's coming for a people who have a cry in their heart. Come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride. The bride is a metaphor from Genesis for the people of God, the church. The spirit and the bride say, come. And I believe the Lord is going to release a longing to see his face. He's already doing it. It's going to increase over his church. Listen, he wants to do all of this, not so that we could have a nice church and cool meetings, but so that his people can rebuild ruined cities. The Lord's not doing this so that we'll have a nice location conveniently located off of the freeway in a desirable location. The Lord wants us to hear what the voice of the Spirit is saying to the churches so that he can anoint us and empower us to be messengers of the gospel of God's kingdom breaking into the earth. Okay. Last verse. Oh, go back. No. Cheaters. No. Okay. This one verse, man. This whole week, I've been thinking about the end. And it's been such a good week. You ever think, like, where's everything headed? 
Raise your hand if you ever think about that. Like, what's the end? But how many actually live with the end in mind all the time? Okay, six people. You are the ministry team at the end of the service. Not kidding, not joking. Well, all week I've been thinking, Lord, where's this thing going? I don't think about the end enough. I think about Jesus all the time. I'm in the Word. I'm praying. But this week, especially, the Lord's like, I want you to think about it with me. This is the ultimate. This is, I love it. Love it, love it. Let's read it together. It's something powerful when we read the Word out loud together. One, two, three, go. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We all said hallelujah, amen. And I want to declare to you today that if I have to go out swinging, I declare today I will not be a part of, nor will the church that the Lord allows me to be a part of leading or encouraging we will not be those, just the next slide, who will, whose love will grow cold through boredom, compromise, or complacency. But doggone it, Jesus doesn't exaggerate. He said the love of most will. Listen, if your love grows cold, you are on the verge of total collapse and failure. Love is what holds this whole thing together. And why does love grow cold? I'm sure all that you're saying is true. I just can't hear it. Love grows cold because I love other things more than God. Amen. A bored Christian should not be the, the, the rule. It should be the exception to the rule. Come on, somebody. God is calling his church. You know how Luther knocked on the door and he nailed his thesis. The Lord is knocking on the door of his church and he's saying, I want you to be fully alive in my love. I don't want your love to be cold. I want it to be white hot. Because I think white is the hottest part of the fire. If it is, if it is say amen. <laughs> oh, this is what I believe the Lord's doing in this hour. God wants his people to not function with love as a theory, but as the reality that marks their whole life, their thinking, their choices, their attitudes, their actions, their deeds, and their character. Did you know that God wants his love for you to go all the way down? And he wants that to produce something in your life that what comes out is that love for others. I pray, I'm just declaring that we're going to be zealous to show and share Jesus in homes, in our homes, our neighborhoods, workplaces, school, grocery store. But also, I have this new zeal that finally I'm late to the party I believe God is going to burn within us a desire to see nations who've yet to hear the name of Jesus. He's even going to send people from Cornerstone Church. <laughs> this people right here, four of you, right there. 
Listen, Paula leads our missions prayer meeting uh, for for the altar at 1010 on Mondays. You need to be there. I was a guest at 1010. I I offered to lead worship, you know, to serve. We prayed for South Africa. I was ready to move. (laughs) Sorry, honey. My point is, if we step into this thing called prayer and priestly partnership, the Lord, it's not that I have to sit in my pew and feel guilty because I don't love God enough or get into his presence and his love will begin to burn in you. Like, I didn't have South Africa on my grid, but Paula had this whole page of all these six points how we pray for the nation and we're crying out for people and places we don't even know. Did you know that prayer in his presence, this priestly throne room reality, is the solution to a cold, dead, dark, damp heart? It's not just for weak people. We're all weak. Amen. It is for weak people. It is to become a lifeline and lifestyle. And as the spirit of the age woos and draws many to sleep and away from the Lord, the Lord's like, come into my throne room. It'll be really hard for you to, be, to fall asleep. If you're looking at me, it's super hard to be drawn away by lesser counterfeit loves if I am the center of your focus. Okay, thank you, Lord. I, need, I, I was looking for that the whole day. <clears throat> and look at that. Only those who stand firm to the end will be saved. Gosh. Is anyone trembling, like nervous? These should make us nervous. Jesus is the one who said it, not some dude 2,000 years ago. Imagine his audience. And the audience for 2,000 years, the ones who endure to the end, they're the ones who are saved. How do we endure to the end? Is that a fair question? If that's, that's probably a fair question. Because it's only those who endure to the end who are going to be saved. Well, glad you asked. There's a Bible verse for that. <laughs> Let's read it together, because when you read it and see it, there's two things. It's, it's, it's probably more possible it'll seep into your heart and my heart. Let's read it together. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So how do I have an overcoming spirit? How do I overcome the spirit of the age? How do I overcome compromise, complacency, cold, dead heart? Keep believing in Jesus. You don't need to dilute the message or even add to it. Lock eyes with him and let his love, his zeal, his purposes, his desires begin to infuse and infiltrate your own. And there's no way that you will not be able to endure and be saved in the end. If Jesus is at the center, you are an overcomer. And by the way, this is not a one and done believing. No way. No, 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 no. I live by believing. That's the Greek. I mean, pistuo, they don't know how to translate it in English, the word for faith or belief, because it's like faithing is how you would say it. The faithing is not a word. But it, it, it evokes and provokes this idea that I live my whole life by believing in who Jesus is, what he's done, who, what he's doing, and what he's promised to do in the future. That's faith. To live by believing. Say it. To live by believing. It's not the, oh, I believe that Jesus is. It's no, I live by believing in this great thing called the gospel, called his kingdom.
I live by believing. So if you fast forward to the end, and we are at the end, the revelation. Jesus walks around. There's seven churches that he has a message for. And he ends every message the same. It's like, Jesus, I wish you'd be more clever. Every message, I'm just going to fly through these because the point is you'll see it after the first slide. These are the churches who are being pressed by outside forces. Their culture around them is trying to squeeze them into a mold. Sound familiar? Drawing them away to counterfeit loves and ideologies and ideas that center on man and his being pushed to the center instead of God and his kingdom. Like people like us, like the church like today. And here's what he says to all seven of them. He, he gives them a message, usually some sort of rebuke. Thank you, Jesus. But here's where he ends, every one of them. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. To the one who's victorious, say victorious. I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. Look at this. Whoever has ears to hear, the, Spirit, the one who's victorious will not be hurt by the second death. Come on, someone say victorious. victorious. To the other church, whoever has ears to hear, like, okay, Jesus, we get it. To the one who's victorious... Okay, okay, hold on. To the one who's victorious and who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Okay, now we're in Revelation 3. Blah, 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 blah. To the one who's victorious, I'll show you what they'll be like. They'll be dressed in white. They'll never be blot out of the name of that person from the book of life. Blah, 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 blah. Next church. To the one who's... Okay, you're getting the point. Oh, last one, the seventh. To the one who is... So what is on the mind of Jesus? Victory. He doesn't have in his mindset a dead, dull, dark, limping on into the age to come church. Listen, look, I just was reading statistics this morning to really encourage my spirit. They're not encouraging. Don't read them. The church that Jesus envisions and he died to redeem and make possible on the earth is a victorious church. But what does victory, what does victory imply? Listen, I stood up at, at 1045. I'm doing great. We're almost done, I promise. We're almost, I'm almost done. What does victory imply? Help me before I go to the next slide. Boom. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're in a battle. If victory is what Jesus is speaking, then it means I'm in a battle. But listen, how many of us are asleep to the battle? We don't call it a battle. We just call it a cold, bored heart. We don't call it a battle. We just call it, I love that thing more than God. We don't call it a battle. Oh, he doesn't really care about that part of my life. It's just, that's cool for me to be in charge of. We don't call it a battle. But friends, the battle is not between good and evil. Good definitively defeated evil on the cross of Calvary. We are not on the edge of our seat going, oh God, I hope you can pull it off at the end. He lived he died, he rose, and his father ascended his son at the right hand in glory. He already won. He is victory all the way through. The battle that rages is for your heart. That's the jury that's still out. Will they overcome? Will they be weighed down by sin and by compromise? Will they not take the serious the mentality that I don't want to just save them for someday. I want to save them every day. Oh, 
We know we're asleep. We don't understand. I'm asleep. He's waking me up, though. I'm not done yet. I'm not done. And it's not just because I'm loud and boisterous. Think of what the heart of Jesus is when he looks at his church who's dull and deaf to what he's saying. His heart breaks. He's saying, my blood redeemed you, not so that you could live your own life, but you could live life in my kingdom. I didn't just want to like, make your life slightly better. I wanted to wipe it clean and give you a new one. I don't want you just to be, oh, I kind of know. I, I want you to be alive in my love. Okay. So victory implies, implies we're in a battle. But it's not like, oh, I hope God wins in the end. It's how many will respond to his cry, love me with everything, because I love you with everything. Hallelujah. Oh, so, last thought, done. Okay. I left off one small detail, how to, li- how to win victorious in the battle. Who wants to know how to be victorious? I fought the good fight. Look at Paul. He's a slugger. <laughs> Martyr, he died for Jesus. Anyway. This is his last letter, one of his last things he ever said when he was, before he passed. I've fought the good fight. Come on, someone say, it's a good fight. To stay alive in his love, to free from compromise. Just, I'm going to be victorious. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Now there's a store for me on the crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also who have longed for his appearing. That one last line cuts me. Do I long for his appearing? Yee. Okay, moving on. I don't know. I don't want to live my own life. Do I long? Okay, it's just in the Bible. So here's the one last thing I left off. You want to know the secret to being victorious? Possessing an overcoming faith. It was in every one of those verses I put up on the victorious. I just didn't highlight it on purpose. Gotcha. Here's the secret, but it's not a secret because Jesus said it. It's out there. It's written. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Victory is directly tied to hearing what he's saying. Tell me, how can you lose if you hear what he's saying and you, with all of your heart, with others around you who are also knuckleheads trying to figure it out with you, who are broken, who are weak, who are trying to come out of compromise and complacency, just like me, just like you, but we're like, I think he's saying this. Should we respond? How about tomorrow? No, we don't know about tomorrow. Today, let's seek first his kingdom and righteousness. The way to be a victorious church and people is to hear what he's saying and then do what he says. It's Greek. So it's not, we're going to be victorious. It's, come on, do it with me. Dumbo ears. I want to be a listener and then an obeyer, a lover. How do I live in victory? Keep listening and then keep responding to what he's saying. It's super complicated, I know. Victory is tied to faith. Faith implies hearing. Hearing implies listening with the intention to obey. Obedience implies love. Love implies proximity. Proximity implies closeness. 
Closeness implies a throne room reality because there is a man who reigns on a throne and his invitation 24-7, 365 is come to me. Who is he or she who will devote themselves to be close to me? And I would just humbly say as I'm done, the best play in this 500-year, about two years ago, 500-year reformation is to adopt a throne room reality, to draw near to God, hear what he's saying, and then respond to it with yes. Stand on your feet with me. <sighs> Turn to your neighbor and say, you made it. Wow. <laughs> Almost a whole hour. I was reading a, a church about the, the, how many know the fastest growing church on the earth right now is the church in Iran? <laughs> you tell me the Lord won't find a people who to receive the gospel. How many want to be those people? He'll just go anywhere. The spirit will go anywhere. <laughs> okay, YouTube it. It's awesome. There's great stories. But I was reading a book on my way to Texas on the plane about sort of just this guy who got to interview a bunch of churches in China and, you know, India, places where the gospel is just And he found there were five pillars of exploding churches. Not exploding like, you know what I'm saying. Are you ready for these five pillars? They're super catchy and clever. You know, you would never see them coming. Number one, a devotion to prayer. They believed someone was on the other end of the line and he had all that they needed if they would posture themselves to pray. How often? All the time. A life of prayer. Number two, these are just the pillars of the exploding church globally. So if you're interested, listen. They were devoted to the word of God. <laughs> the Bible. They were committed to sharing the gospel, number three. Every person knew they were never just hearing for themselves. Ye. Every person knew I was a spiritual mother or father in training. That's number three. Number four, they regularly expect miracles. Because sometimes when words fail, a deed of power, heaven breaking in, will do just fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He was dead. He's alive. He was blind. He sees. He was deaf. He hears. He was lame. He walks. Yeah. All over the earth. It's happening. It's happening in America, too. And number five, everyone's favorite, they embrace suffering for the glory of Jesus. And if you just want to have a fun little study, go read Acts. The book of Acts, every single time they suffer, there's some sort of celebration or party after. They're like, we can't even believe we get to suffer for Jesus. I don't get it. And I believe that God, he, like I said, it's not like God's doing this for the first time ever in us, but he's inviting us in on what he's doing in this last day. Prayer, the word, commitment to share the gospel believing and regularly expecting the miraculous and to embrace the suffering and stigma for the glory of Christ. And if you, you can go back and listen to the tape, read the email, 
It's way more articulate. I stumbled and bumbled, did the best I could. But if you like, Lord, I want you to mark my heart with what Chad's talking about today and with what I think humbly the Spirit is saying to the church. He's already saying it. I'm just one of the messengers among millions, thousands. Just put your hand on your heart. And just talk to the Father. Say, Father, I want you to mark my heart. I don't want my love to be cold. I want to know how much you love me. And I want to respond to it. Father, I ask that you would mark the hearts of our people today. I wrote a prayer, so I'm just going to pray it because it's way better than what I'm going to fumble through. You ready? Here's the prayer. Just wait for it. It's on my phone. Yep, it's worth waiting for, I promise. Father, in the name of Jesus, you're not done with the church in America, and you're not done with the church called Cornerstone. You are able to build on the Cornerstone, Jesus, a church that is fully alive in your love. You are able, Lord, to establish an altar of your presence where morning, noon, and night, praise, prayer, and faith tied to your word can arise to your throne room. God, you're able to build and establish a priestly people who carry your presence and glory with them everywhere they go and are scattered. God, you're able to draw us out of our coldness, out of our doldness, to be fully alive in your love. You're able to cause your heart to burn within us that every other pursuit falls off of our hearts and mindsets. And Father, I pray right now, that you would release this grace into our hearts, that we would respond. Lord, I pray right now that if there's one ounce of condemnation, it'd be broken off. But Lord, where there's conviction, turn it up. Come on, how many know the difference between condemnation and conviction? Conviction comes with a solution. Condemnation leaves you stuck. So Father, loose a spirit of conviction where you're drawing us into truth and you're drawing us into love. And I pray, Lord, we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church on this reminder that the Lord is looking for a people of every age and generation to partner with his heart for their generation. God, may you find us to be a part of those people. In Jesus' name, we all shout it. Amen, amen. and amen and amen.